Welcome to The Wind Down, an afternoon podcast where two techie blokes sit down over a bowl of wine and chat about what's happening in the world of tech. Enjoy while Scott and Nick open up about their week in technology. Well, ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to The Wind Down. My name's Nick. I'm here with... Scott. Hello, Scott. How are you? Good, thank you. Nick, how are you? Now, now, Scott, I'm really well, but today you bought me somewhere special. Now, we, where we, are we? What we, are we drinking? We, we, we're at a, a wine bar called Hendrix in uh, Crow's Nest. Now, we were here once before. We were. When, when we actually had a building in Crow's Nest that hadn't fallen down. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, to test the DR plan. Anyway, <laughs> we did all right, I think. Um, Yes, so we're uh, we are back here, and um, lo and behold, it's still here. This is which it is, is good. It, it hasn't is, which fallen is excellent. down. No, it's coped um, during lockdown. And we've got this lovely, um, lovely bottle. Now, one of the good things is um, they actually have quite a few half bottles, and they've got they've got a lot of half bottles of very special things. And this is a, um, a Yarra Yearing. It's an Underhill 2016. It's a lovely drop um, from a little place at Gruyere. Out of, out of Melbourne, it's about northeast, I don't know, an hour out of hour out of um, the city. Okay. Um, in the area where Coldstream is, and a few of the other wineries there, and oh, and this this is beautiful. I mean, you just sort of drink this all night. That's a meal in itself. Let me. Uh... Oh, that's gorgeous. That is very very nice. Yeah, this is right at the opposite end of the spectrum to what we had a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, normally you're treating me to a pub wine, not something really that's, nice. Well, so. that's, that's the concept of wine bar, I suppose. <laughs> Yes, anyway. God, I like good. being out of lockdown. This is so cool. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. So topic today. Topic today is, is, is like been on the, lots of people have been talking about it. It's Web 3.0. Ooh, okay. So, so I don't mean HTTP 3 or okay. TLS 3. Yes. I mean Web 3.0. And that's kind of like 5G or 4G. It's one of those marketing yeah, terms okay. rather than anything else. So we've seen this concept of Industry 2.0, Industry 3.0, Industry yeah. 4.0, which really is the, the next generation of how things are done it is so yeah. so web 3 is the next evolution of web technologies and we're just starting to get mm. there now which is kind of funky yeah, i don't think we're seeing a lot of it out there yet there's a little bit yeah. so you could say things like zoom and teams are an example of web 3 and okay. i'll kind of explain what it is um but if anybody's playing in the crypto space ah. right web 3 is about what they call the decentralized web Ooh. so if you think cryptocurrencies are decentralized currency so, okay. so traditional, what they call fiat currency, has a central bank or a government in the, in the middle. And they print their own money and they control the serial number on the yes. notes. And, and, and in theory, it's matched up with physical gold or something like that. Uh, not anymore. Yeah. The no, gold not, standard's no, gone. Right. But not since 73, <laughs> I know. But, but in the past, it was matched up with something that actually said, we're allowed to print this much money because we've got this much gold to show we've actually got this much money. Yep. Yeah, no and longer. Well, it's, it's interesting. The, 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 the whole crypto industry believes that basing things on gold is pretty stupid as well because gold's not that useful. As, it's certainly not as useful as the cost of gold, right? It, it, it is. I don't, gold, gold has been a consistent value to people throughout the ages. People have paid for it. Value is yes. all in what people will pay for it. Well, well therefore, the value is there if they've paid for it. Well, well then the same thing applies to crypto. Cryptocurrency yes. is slightly different. It's decentralized. And, and what that means is instead of one central database managing things or one central set of data, yes. everybody has a copy of the database and you all know how the software works, so you trust the software to do it, transactions. It, unless you lose your key. Well, you still trust the software. You just, very true. Lose, your you just don't lose your key. I mean, yeah. it's, it's hard to lose a bar of gold. It's very heavy. 
Yes, good, good, good point. Well, well, write your key on a bar of gold, and then you'll... Oh, that's a brilliant idea. I'm going to patent Gold that bullion idea. stores where you can etch your crypto, crypto key on them just so you don't lose them. <laughs> because the number of people I've heard about now that have said, I bought all this Bitcoin, and apparently I'm quite rich, but if I can't find where I've put this key. Mm. Oh, it was on a USB key, or I printed something off somewhere, and... Yeah, no, I've heard a lot of that. Yes, I won't go into that because we've got one going at the moment. But um, yeah, crypto is fascinating. We've got this other thing called non-fungible tokens. Oh, yes. Tell us about those. So cryptocurrency is what's called a fungible token. Mm. One Bitcoin is interchangeable with a different Bitcoin. Just transactions on a ledger. Non-fungible tokens are individual items that aren't, that are unique. Yes. For example, a unique piece of art or a unique piece of music or a unique this or a unique yeah. that. That's okay. a non-fungible token. And that market's stupid at the moment. People have paid millions of dollars for a pixel, for goodness sake. So, Well, I mean, if you're the one selling the pixel, you've done well. Well, also, if you're the one who buys it for a million dollars and sells it for two, you've done well too. It'd be horrible if you on the bought it for two and sold it for... But if I came worth. to you with a new business idea and said, I'm going to generate a pixel of this particular colour and put it on the non-fungible token auction list yep. on the hope that someone's going to pay a million dollars for it, yep. would you go and say, that's brilliant, here, take all my money and make that happen? Or would you it's, sort of look the other way why and I go, don't, that's why, walking? why I don't own an island, really, because because <laughs> I miss this all the time. Anyway, so, so that's kind of the world of crypto, and crypto is peer-to-peer networking. Zoom and Teams are peer-to-peer video conferencing, yes. although there is something central. But if you think of how the web's grown up, it started off just being web pages served off a server. Yes. And now we're interacting in what's called the social web or web 2.0. That's doing e-commerce, that's doing social networking, but there's always a big central thing around it. Web 3.0 is we're going to stop having all these central control. We're going to actually have apps which run in the browser. Okay. So not web off web servers, no, but things that run in the browser. And these are your Blazor apps, for example? WebAssembly and those sorts yep, of things, okay. which can talk to other people running the same app in oh. the browser without having to go through central control. Well, that's, that's interesting. And then Google tried this central control thing recently with one of their game companies. They were trying to stream the games out of the cloud. Yep. Um, and the, the whole they shut it down in the end because they worked out that no one actually had the bandwidth uh, or the latency sufficient to really play the game at a at a proper level. No, absolutely. Oh, well, some people did, but they had massive uh, connections it, and they are in the yeah, US. Yeah, it was a very, very small market for yeah. a very... Yes. It, it didn't work here. So, so Web3 is kind of funky. Now, if you think about how you manage computers, you manage them with central control. You've got a, a central remote management and monitoring system and you can yeah. remote into everybody's device and you can do all those sorts of things. So you're like that central control. How does that work in the distributive? environment well yes you would have to work out how do you authenticate yep because in theory in a centrally controlled model the 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 center or the hub has got master keys and everything like that to to keep the security in place so that you know not anyone can just come along and do things on machines authentication is a really good thing to talk about let's talk about azure active directory for example okay it's when you log in with your microsoft account or your office 365 account Mm -hmm. and there's a big massive enormous directory partitioned with everybody in it, which, yes. which helps you log in and log out and do all those sorts of things. This wine is so distracting. It's lovely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is good. Isn't it, it is very good. <laughs> I don't know what you're missing. <laughs> um, but um, So you've got this kind of central control, this database. But 
slowly there have been little things that have appeared where you've been able to prove, as long as people trust the way you're proving who you are, right, you should be able to access what you're allowed to. So we're going to start walking around with our own identities that we control that people will start trusting. Well, see, I, I actually see the whole directory concept, like Active Directory, but there are others that are disappearing over time. Mm. I don't think I agree. this one big list of who's who in the zoo is really going to... I, over time. I don't think it's going to happen over time. Oh, no, we're, we're talking 10, 15, yeah. 20 years or so. And I think, like just like Bitcoin, you're going to have a set of keys. So this all works on what's called um, public key cryptography, which could be broken by quantum computing, but we don't know that yet. But anyway. we, we would have had to have a few more bottles of wine before we go into that. Yeah, we, we yes, will okay. go into that. But effectively, the way it works is lots of maths, but you have two keys. You have a private key that you don't let anybody see, and you have a public key, which you let everybody see. And if I've got a message I want only Scott to read, I'll encrypt it with his public key, which means only his private key can decrypt it. Um, if Scott wants to prove he did something, he'll sign something with his private key, and I can use his public key to prove that he's the one that signed it. And so those two things together, and there's fa some fascinating maths. It's not horribly complex, but no. it's really good. But it's, it, it's strong enough to the point where uh, it's held up to date, yeah, more or less. Well, we use and it all the time. SSL we, we use it uses time. it, a bunch and, of other things. And this is, but this is also when we're getting into like SSL, like 64-bit, 128-bit, 256-bit, all the... This is why you're seeing larger and larger numbers over time, because the computing technology is becoming more readily available to be able to break down the old cryptography standards. Yes, but also to be able to encrypt things, and it's computationally intensive to yes. encrypt something. But ultimately, it's just a mathematical um, algorithm that if you go yes. and put all the different values possible in, you'll eventually find the answer. So, so this becomes really fascinating when we get into the world we are now in, where we talk about the post-privacy world, where we've given so much of our information to Facebook and Google and MySpace and YouTube and yes. everyone else, so there is really no privacy anymore. Decentralized webs offers us the opportunity to get privacy back, to only share what we want to to who we want to share it to. And that uh, puts us back in control, which I think is fascinating. But how it lands, and how it's articulated to end users and businesses is going to be the magic trick with this. This sounds like the new government legislation. <laughs> yeah, that's not a magic trick. That's just... <laughs> no, but that was the concept of... At least the, the intent, I think, was that you would only be able to share what you wanted to with who you wanted to. Yes. I, I think the, there's dangers there in how do we break the model. Yeah, and, and, and using cryptography, it's not that you, somebody else gives you controls that you choose where mm. things go to and they manage that and they've got everything. It's that you really choose who gets what. Yeah, I get, I get the concept. I just think wherever there's a, a way to, uh, to encrypt something, there's also a way for someone to decrypt it, perhaps not the right person. Certainly, but there's, there's ways to make that unfeasibly difficult. Right. Diffic also, difficult, yes, okay. Yes, there's also the needle in the haystack problem that if, if I'm sending like a... Twitter type message to you yes. and I'm encrypting that and, and to be honest if I actually encrypt it with your public key send it to you and do what I should do which is delete the original message even I can't read it anymore You're, you should be that, the only one that can that would be true read yes. it but it, it's a message like hey Scott we go to the pub that's a useless thing to spend more computational power than is on the planet's well, decrypt. I don't, I don't know. If you see that ten times a day, it could be <laughs> yes. it could be something you wouldn't want to have out there in the public. You never know. So, so, so Web Web three is you know, a fascinating set of things. But the other thing it's bringing into it is you know stuff Facebook's doing around Meta, mm -hmm. around bringing the virtual world, and their view is that the virtual world will be a peer to peer world. 
I've seen that. We're going to talk about the metaverse. Yep. No, not so much meta, but the metaverse um, in, in the coming episodes. We will. We will. I think one of the interesting things about that is if you look at the amount of data you have to move around when you're doing full virtual reality, if I'm transmitting that data to you and you're transmitting it to me, that's very doable. If I've got to transmit it centrally and then somewhere central has to stream it to millions and millions of users, that becomes unfeasible. It, it, it does real time. I mean, think about it like a, a Netflix where you put one copy of something up on Netflix, yet it sends it out to like a million different users at the times that those users want to see it. Yes. Um, it all needs to be caged and all needs to be sent to the edges and it only works because that's fairly common data. It's also pretty static. Right? Yes, a movie that's is right. a movie is a movie. It doesn't, it doesn't change much no. in, in the next five years and um, yeah. And so you're back to why the gaming thing didn't work because that this just is gets why way the gaming hard. doesn't work. However, the, um, the, the concept of processing power on the edge now in people's computers, it, it's actually getting quite powerful. Well, look at your mobile phone. If you've got a flagship phone at the moment, mm. it's incredibly powerful. It, it is. I mean, I've got this new Apple iPhone 13, yeah, we, was it we, Pro we, Max we, something? We, we talked about that last week. We did, <laughs> and that's the whole thing. It, it's, it's got so much power, and it can do things very quickly, yeah. and then you look at, well, I've done this on my phone already. What, what's the old computer doing? And you sort of worry about this. Yeah, well, I, I think we already know that more and more stuff people do is going to the mobile device. Yeah. Um, I think you, you've got to, when you're thinking about, at least in software development, when we're thinking about software development, we now need to develop for the small screen first. Mm. And, and the big screen second, we have to think mobile first. And that's that's a change for a lot of people. It is. But it's, if you think, what are we now, 50% of the working population is Gen Y? Yes. Or Gen Z? And, and I've seen the stats out of, um, out of Asia in particular, showing that people just don't own a computer anymore. They're literally yeah. living off a phone, even at work, to some, to some degree. Dif different sorts of things at work, but the, a lot of the interaction is via a mobile device. They're not carrying around laptops as much anymore. They're not necessarily using desktops. Could be a, a tablet or an iPad or something like that. Yeah, no, and I saw that a lot when I was in Asia. That just starting that the, the the mobile device was the key. Yes, talk far more than it was yeah, here in Australia. But that's that's fascinating. These are digital natives who've been brought up with the mobile device and want to do everything on it. Mm. Because if you can do your banking and your searching and your social life, why can't I approve timesheets and do all my business work on it? Well, well, this is the thing. And like we we look at a mobile phone now, it's a thing you carry around, and yeah, it's quite portable, it's quite powerful. And someone who's relatively new in life, looking at that, quite a young person would say, "Oh, that's really cool." What happened in the old days? I said, "Oh, well, you actually built these things called telephone exchanges, and we yes. ran a physical cable from them into everybody's house. So we plugged a big device in called the telephone, that was powered off the exchange and rang." And what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, you pull my leg, aren't you? Yeah, no, 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 no I'm really not. No, absolutely. <laughs> when I talk to my kids about libraries, oh yes, but that's fascinating. So I think. Yeah, the big thing we're going to see in the next 10 years with Web 3.0, and I think when we talked about Web 2.0 and the history of the web, we start with Web 1.0, which is web pages. Web 2.0 is what we're doing now. But when Web 2.0 was discussed, which was very early 90s, to when it hit mainstream was probably just past the dot-com crash. So, so yeah, it's like okay. 12, 13 years. Yep. I think we're in the same kind of timeline to get this stuff to happen. It'll, it'll certainly happen. You can see the trends. You can see where it's heading. Um, it's it's going to be very interesting watching the way things work, mm. how are they designed to work, and how are they going to meet that requirement 
but it is definitely coming. It is definitely coming, so so watch this space. Um, I think that kind of does us for today. I think that's an overview of Web3. What do you reckon, Scott? Oh, that's an excellent start. Cool. We, we, at some point in the future, let's give some examples as we come across um, applications that are sort of using it. We find some that are really using yeah. it. We'll, we'll try yeah. and do that. That makes That'd sense. Be good. Well, everybody, thank you so so much for watching. If you do like what you see, please give us a like. Leave a comment if you want us to discuss something, and make sure you subscribe. If you're on YouTube, hit the notify button. If you're listening, you can hear us on audible.com. Um, you can hear us on everywhere you get your podcasts, including Spotify. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. So I hope you enjoyed it today, and I hope you have a fantastic day. See ya. Bye.